Jason Swank today. Um, Jason, how you doing, buddy? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Good, man. So actually a lot of excitement around this one. We had a lot of people request uh, request you and a lot of people um, know who you are. So that's always a good thing when your name. I didn't known. know my mom uses your guys' software. <laughs> you might. <laughs> uh, um, so if you guys have questions, um, as we're getting started and getting going, make sure you drop your questions down into the, uh, into the live. Um, and then we will get this for anybody that joins late and misses anything. We will get this wrapped up and put into the vault for everyone as well. Um, Jason, so you are an, my understanding. Um, I had actually never heard of you um, before today. Did a little bit of research on you. I was checking you out. Luke came across you, Luke. I think you found him on like one of the most top requested. Yeah, I just honestly talked to another agency. They said they went through Jason's program. Um, it sounded pretty, pretty awesome for agency scaling. So, okay. so you know, referrals from in our inner circle coming in. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got started, uh, when you got started, um, kind of how you've progressed throughout, you know, the course of time. Yeah, sure. So uh, I was an accidental agency owner like most. Um, so I created, I worked for Arthur Anderson as a computer programmer back in the um, late 90s. And I hated it. And uh, one of my <laughs> friends looked like Justin Timberlake from NSYNC. And so yeah, I created nice. a fake band, fake website called In Shit, and it got really popular. And oh. then people started asking me to design websites. And so that's kind of how I got started. So, you know, ran, in, ran our first agency for over 12 years. Uh, we worked with accounts from Hitachi Power Tools to LegalZoom, I did everything for Lotus Cars, so really big brands. Um, and then uh, grew it a little over eight figures. Uh, and then a bunch of people wanted to buy us and we sold it. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do after that. I thought I would go do an iPhone app. <laughs> like, like most people, this is when Instagram sold for a billion dollars. I was like, well, let's, let's go after the billion mark. Yeah. Um, and I was chasing money, which was stupid, or really kind of chasing the game. And I hated doing the iPhone app. I literally hated it. And I was lucky enough that some old competitors were like, hey, how'd you how'd you work with the biggest brands? How'd you sell? How'd you do this? And started helping them out for free. Loved it. And that turned into creating a resource I wish I had. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, started another agency with a, a lot of uh, really smart uh, other agency owners and put that together. And we quickly, uh, you know, grew a little over, I think in July, we should be a little over 30 million in revenue. So cool. Awesome. How many, what's your uh, team like makeup look like? How many for some, for somebody that's, you know, we have a lot of people that are in that one to two to three to five. Mm -hmm. um, we have a few that are, I would say those upper scale agencies, but how does your staffing look like when you get to that level? Yeah. A uh, little over a hundred people as well. Um, so it's, uh, and we had a hundred people at the first agency. So like you can actually go so much further now with, uh, you know, not even um, just because of technology and all the amazing, cool things that we can do. So, mm -hmm. It's a lot of people to manage. <laughs> well, it's not a lot of people. Well, you got to think. I never have over five direct reports. Sure. Right. And so like, and if you, and we could talk about, you know, like the stages of agencies and that kind of stuff. Cause a lot of times people do think it's a lot, but honestly, it's not. Um, if you have the right systems and the structure in place. Yep. Tell us about your first agency that you, you sold. How long, how long did you 
run that agency? How fast did that grow? Um, uh, it grew really, really slow for the first couple of years. So we ran it for 12 years. Um, wow. and we grew it. I saw it grow all the way to little 13.1. Um, but we, the cool, the coolest part was, is we were over 40% margins, net margins, mm-hmm. um, versus a lot of times people just brag about the top line revenue top line doesn't mean shit. Right. Um, in the agency space, yeah. I know with, uh, SaaS products, totally different. And that's kind of a really cool world and model too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And when you were at like the 13, like when you, when you sold that agency, what, what was your staffing like situation look like? 100 people. You still a hundred at 13 million versus a hundred people at 30 million. So you almost, what, two and a half times your size or a little less than that with the same. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have some agency owners in the mastermind that are literally they're eight figures and they have five full time and the rest are all outsourced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's not a right or wrong way to build it. It just matters on what you want to build. Right. My philosophy and thought on that is it's almost better to outsource from a tax perspective as well, because you're able to, you know, contractors, it's better for the contractor as well versus bringing them on as an employee because they don't get as many write-offs, especially if they're in the USA. So, well, and you got to be careful too, that government doesn't, you know, I've seen people come after you yep. and, and treat it as, you know, oh no, we treat those as employees. So you got to go yeah pay taxes on them so yeah talk sure. to your accountant for sure because i know there's stipulations on what you know what that fine line is but i know that there's a lot of agencies that i'm aware of that do that as well um so well let's talk about let's talk about uh how somebody goes ahead and gets started let's talk about your scaling i mean i know you have it sounds like a master class i think you have a, a playbook that you've written um Kind of tell us about what you got going on now. You have the agency and what, what else? What's Jason up to? Yeah, so um, like I said, when I started doing this, I wanted to create a resource I wish I had. And so when I started looking at some of the success that we had, if I was going to duplicate it over again for other people, we started putting and figuring out what are the right systems that we actually needed to implement in order to do it over again. Mm-hmm. So that's the agency playbook. But before we chat about that or the mastermind or anything like that, why don't I, I think it'd be probably good to educate people on having them able to figure out, self-identify what stage in the six stages of scaling an agency they're at and then what yeah. they actually need to do. But I'll leave that up to you guys. Oh, for sure. Let's dive in. I mean, I, I've never went through, so feel free to lead me on what you think will be best for the, okay. you know, where you think will be best. So I guess what are the six stages for those that don't know, because I don't even know. Yep. So the first one, and, and I'm a big mountain person, so everything I talk about is going to be uh, based on uh, you know climbing the mountain to really kind of get to the summit. So um, let's talk about kind of the first stage, and it's really kind of uh, what I call staging, right? And this is where if you're in this stage and you're trying to figure out kind of really get clarity around your niche or your offering, then you're in staging. And what you need to do in order to really kind of be able to start climbing that mountain, you need to define your avatar, you need to define your offering and get crystal clear. And then when you actually graduate from this, you've already decided on a niche. And, and look, when you when smaller agencies look at bigger agencies and say, hey, they don't have a niche, they're going after everyone, you didn't look at how they actually got there. Um, and, and you're just looking at what they are now. And I think that's a mistake. And that's a trap a lot of people fall into. 
And so I always look at kind of how do you graduate up to the next stage, which we call base camp. And a lot of people don't want to be in base camp, but look, if you're going to scale your agency, you have to be honest. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses and where you're at? So you know what to actually work on. And so when you actually get to base camp, the biggest challenge that I see agencies here is they're lacking um, of leads. And so they're relying on referrals. They're relying on their personal network. They're relying on things being reactionary to coming to them. And really what they need to do is really build a lead generation system where, you know, leads are constantly coming in um, and they're really kind of converting them on a consistent basis. Does that all make sense so far? Yep. Yep. Okay. And then the next level up is what I call the climb, right? Question on that, on the lead generation system, yeah. just to Go kind of dive it. into that a little bit more. What is the best way for somebody to set that up? I know a lot of people, um, obviously community is huge, which is a lot of the referral stuff that you were talking about. Like if you're actually, especially in our communities, if you're helping people, there's so much work to be had and be thrown um, that I think a lot of people get a lot of their work from community type situations. What are some other ways that are really, really good? I mean, when you say build a lead generation system, it sounds like it's a a big thing to do um, I, from, from building your own brand as a, as an agency owner, like what are the, what are the best ways that you're seeing agencies do that? Well, you kind of treat it like a three-legged stool. Most people only build it on one stool, like, you know, one leg, which, mm -hmm. you know, won't stand by itself and eventually it will fall over when the wind actually blows it or when something shakes it. And so what I look at is building an inbound channel, like you're constantly creating content on an ongoing basis to actually put out valuable stuff in, into your particular market you're going after and build awareness where then they're like, oh, well, man, I've been listening to this guy's podcast or this, this lady's, um, you know, uh, videos forever. So yep, let me yep. go reach them. So creating an inbound channel, um, also creating an outbound channel. What are the strategies or what are the systems that I need to do in order to reach out to my perfect audience? my perfect prospect. That's why, you know, in the staging area, you're really working on who's your avatar. Who do I actually need to go after rather than small businesses? That's not a market um, or B2B. That's still not a market. You have to drill down and really kind of scare people away. So then when you make that list and you start building a sales team or you start making some calls, you know, you can resonate with them. Right. So if I, if I'm calling an agency, I'd be like, Hey, you know, I saw a couple ads that you're running and it really looks like, you know, um, your business is really built on, on, on word of mouth. Is that true? Yep. Cool. Would you like to chat about maybe possible building lead gem system or something like that in order to get their attention? And then the third is big building strategic partnerships. So we did this back in the day with Microsoft. We did this with Sigfinity, a number of other really amazing technologies that actually went after the clients that we went after. And how could two plus two equal, you know, 16, uh, you know, rather than just four of going, hey, you send me a lead, I'll send you a lead. And so if you kind of build a lead gen system with those three things in mind, even if one goes down, the two other will pick up. Um, and, uh, and then you're constantly building your pipeline. Um, and, uh, and then you're not, you know, resenting your clients because, you know, hey, you can pick and choose the clients that right. you actually want to work with. What is the payment structure? There's been a lot of questions on, on this recently. Like when you're in stage one, how does retainers and percentages of ad spend and or ROAS shared models, talk to us about that at each stage as well. What does that look like in stage one for most of your clients or most agencies if you don't recommend a certain um, 
obviously it depends on what you do, your services you offer, but. Yeah. Well, at the staging and base camp, it's, it's all across the board, right? Like people are getting paid in the rears. Um, you know, people are sometimes charging a performance or they're charging hourly or they're um, selling a retainer that they can opt out of, like the client can opt out of at any time because it's a big, it's a risky decision for them. So mm -hmm. at these lower stages, a lot of times they're not doing it the right way. I always preferably like to get paid in advance. So if I was on a retainer, I would get paid in advance. So yep. if you didn't pay me, I would not do any work. Correct. Or if I was on a project, I would always do 50% upfront uh, halfway through the project or at a certain date, I would get paid the other quarter and same thing at the end. So, and the reason why I said at a certain date or at, at a deliverable means Look, if you've been doing the agency world for any amount of time, you know, your clients will never get you shit that you need on time. Um, and they will delay the crap out of the project. Like there's not most yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so I, I would always go with the client and say, look, I know you're going to get me everything on time. And I'd kind of chuckle and they'd be like, oh yeah, of course. Cool. Well, in order to keep this on time, this is how we're going to do our payment terms. Is that cool? Yep. Okay. So then when they don't get me the deliverables on time, we're literally like, well, we need the next payment or we just, you know, charge a card or ACH or whatever, whatever we set up. So a lot of times we would get paid hundred percent of our projects before we were even yep. a quarter done. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just got stiffed on a web design project. It wasn't a lot, but it was 2,500 bucks just because it was a small project and did it, did the work. And then he just, you know, so, and it's something where as you grow, those kinds of things are definitely important to have because obviously you don't want to sue somebody in Australia for 2,500 bucks because yeah. it's going to cost you more to do that. Well, the other thing too, is you can set up um, thresholds. So anything we had it where anything under 10,000, you were paying us a hundred percent upfront. Yep. I like that. So. Yep. What kind of, I mean, here's a good question from Jamie O'Connor. What kind of revenue are agencies at when they're at the base camp stage? Under 500,000 in revenue normally. Okay. Or under the million mark. They're definitely not over the million mark. Not over the million mark. And is there like benchmarks for those agencies that are in base camp of what clients they should and should not bring on and what they can handle? Do you teach anything of that or does that get up to the later stages when you can choose? So that's really getting up to the next stage climb, right? So if you're at base camp, what you're doing is, is you have a lead gen system, right? It's set up, you're, you're converting consistently and you're generating a, a good steady pipeline. But what you'll start realizing is the clients that you were getting are not the ones you need going forward because as the more clients you close, the more um, people that you need, the more people that you hire, the less profit you make. And sometimes you even start going into the negative because you need more people, right? You're investing in the company. Well, what you haven't realized is you should have raised your prices. Now, when you start raising your prices, you'll realize, wow, the, the leads I was getting are not the right ones, okay? Yeah. And so your biggest challenge when you actually get to the climb is re really not closing the right accounts, right? Because look, if you, and here's a, here's a really good telltale sign that you're not charging enough. If you constantly keep saying, I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> It's really pretty easy, right? Like yeah. if you're like, I, I don't have time to do anything. I'm just too busy. 
oh, you're too busy because you haven't brought in the right people. You haven't brought in the right people because you haven't charged the right amount. You haven't charged the right amount because you haven't been getting the right leads in. And so it's really about just uh, readjusting that and um, you know, really kind of building a sales system. Now you've built a lead gen system in Basecamp, but now it's really building a sales system. How do you, that's, that's the biggest problem is finding people that do good quality work that want to actually work that aren't lazy that you know have experience that doesn't ruin your reputation and your and your name as an agency how do you find good people what, i mean it's just you're always recruiting it's kind of like always be selling <laughs> you're always recruiting um and i always tell people and it goes back to the like um, one of the first systems i talk about in the playbook is around clarity and a lot of times we bring on the wrong people because we've, we've never really given them the why. Like, where are we going? Why are we going there, right? Like, if you remember, I said, I wanted to create a resource I wish I had. That's our why. So our team can actually go, okay, I can make a decision on that. If I, like, if this is helpful for an agency, we should probably go do it. I don't need to come to Jason and ask, I can just go execute it. Like case in point, I remember a couple of years ago, um, our team was writing a blog post at the top conferences agency owners need to go to. And two of the places they listed, I hated these people, <laughs> like with a passion. I was like, I was like F and take those people out. And, and, uh, and my team was like, well, are they good for agencies? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, it should stay in. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. So even like it, it gives your team the power in order to go after, you know, that. So that's kind of the first stage of like getting clarity of where you're going and why you're doing it. And then you can start looking at your inner circle, even looking at your past clients. Some of your clients would turn into, um, or past people you've worked with could turn into great team members for you and just kind of belling that. But it, at the end of the day, it's always, be, always recruiting, you know, when I'm chatting with our mastermind members at the, um, you know, at the, the crest or the summit, some of the, the higher stages, we're always talking about recruiting and building a recruiting system. Hmm. Let's get into stage, the next stage after base camp. Tell me about yeah. it. So that, that stage is climb, right? And so, like I was saying, you're, you're not closing the right accounts. And so what you need to do is build a sales system and in building the sales system, it all comes back to like, how, how do I, you know, how do I create a process where me as the owner is not doing sales? Me as the owner is not doing the account management either, right? Um, and that's how you actually graduate to the next level, which is crux. So you have to really concentrate on like, what's my process for qualifying? What's my process for making sure we're asking the right questions? What's my process for, around my offering? Like, am I going to pitch marriage right off the bat, which a lot of agencies love to do with their retainer. Like it's risky. Like that's why you're selling a retainer for at month to month, right? Like I, I remember working with an agency, they, they would sell $5,000 a month SEO engagements. I said, well, how long are you um, selling them for? Oh, it's month to month. They can cancel any time. I'm like, why? It's easy for them to make a decision. Okay. Well, how long are you keeping your clients? Six months. So I'm like, so basically you're making 30K per client you sign. I said, are you open to something new? I said, well, let's look at kind of this offering. I said, can we, um, like, are you giving away? And this person was giving away a ton of strategy in order to get the engagement. 
And I said, well, why don't we charge for that? We'll charge 2,500 for that. And then from that strategy, we'll lead it to a project where that project is going to start delivering results to them. Mm-hmm. And I said, how long does it take for you to show results? And he said, oh, two months. Okay, let's sell a three-month project at 15K. And then once they start seeing results around two months or two and a half months, then we're going to start positioning a retainer. And at the retainer, we are able to sell it at 87.50 a month for 12, a 12-month agreement. Mm-hmm. So now they're making $92,000 more by doing yeah. it this way, by making it easier and really kind of building a sales system where it's easy for a salesperson to come in, sell what I call this foot in the door, rather than selling the retainer off of that. What is your thoughts on, so I, I understand both sides to that and I'm on the opposite side of where you are, where it's month to month, but with your side of that, what if somebody just isn't happy and they're say they're four months in after their three month initial agreement and they have 10 months to go and they just, or they can't afford it. They're having business issues. What does your opt out clause look like for something like that? Um, Cause my thought process and philosophy is if somebody doesn't want to work with me, um, I don't want to keep somebody and keep them miserable. Um, and, you know, and say, oh, this, you know, this guy's got me roped in this contract. I can't get out. Cause we hear it all the time. What is, mm-hmm. what is your positioning on that for agencies when you're, So you got to think, let me kind of go through my reason why, and then I'll talk about this, the the certain situations. So what we started finding was we would work with these brands and then they would bring in a new CMO. And that's kind of the kiss of death for the existing agency because they want to bring in their own team. And and you were doing an amazing job, but they're too damn stupid to figure it out. So that's why we would have these longer, these engagements, these 12 month engagements that would auto renew because we want predictability. And ultimately we wanted to sell. Um, We've also like last year, we bought eight agencies at the new agency. And if someone doesn't have predictability in their agency, their valuation is chopped. I mean, like you're not really worth that much to us. Um, So if your end goal is to sell, you better have predictability and you better have long-term contracts with no out clauses or a clause that's pretty painful for someone to really kind of rethink it. Now, if you're butchering this client's account and you're not getting them results, hell yeah, you should let them out. And that's kind of the first requirement. If you're scaling an agency, you like... I get so mad when people ask me, you know, um, what's the secret of, you know, growing a great agency? I'm like, start off with doing amazing work that no one else can do yeah. or better than anybody else. Cause if you have mediocrity work, you know, you could put lipstick on a pig, but you're still a pig. Um, so, but if you're, if there is a client situation and you try, you're trying a new market out and you're failing, let them out, um, yeah. you know, and let them go. But, um, the reason why we had long-term contracts was to protect us from when new teams come in and, and, or, or like when COVID hit, right. Everyone started freaking out. And like, it goes back to um, a quote, I think it was um, Henry Ford said, I think it was, I can't remember who I'm probably going to butcher it, but it said um, stopping marketing is like trying to stop your watch to save time or to stop time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just, it's stupid. Like when, when everybody started freaking out with COVID, they're like, I need to stop marketing. I'm like, this is the time you actually should market. So it, it would actually make people think about, you know, if we go through situations like that. Now, if you're a restaurant or a cruise ship in the cruise industry, yeah, well, you should, should you let them out of the contract? No, but you should pause it for a little bit. Yep. 
Makes sense. Interesting. I, I, I really have been victim to that of people coming in and clearing house and firing, you know, just because like what you said. So that actually does make sense. Um, yeah. Definitely agree. So what was the name of this stage? It was the climb. Okay. And then let's go into the next one after what stage of revenue are people at at the climb? Where's that? I mean, they could be a million to 2 million. I mean, I, I try not to look at really kind of revenue, honestly. I just look at kind of, this Rock. is the biggest challenge mm-hmm. um, and what they need to focus on. But like in order to get to what I call the next level, the crux, the owner has to be at fully out of account management and fully out of sales. Yep. Okay. Okay. So in crux, your, your biggest issue now is, you know, building a, really kind of building this team to deliver consistently, right? So you were in the day-to-day operations, like doing all this stuff and you were making it work, but now you have to hire people in order to do this. So really what you need to focus on here is building the right team in here. Um, And and the whole goal is, is, you know, and this is how you kind of graduate to the crest is really get out of the day-to-day operations. So you might be bringing in a director of operations in here. You might be bringing in, you know, project managers, account managers, those kind of people in order to take that over and building really kind of those systems to support that team. Is this the hardest? This seems like to me, this would be the hardest part, building the right team. Uh, the hardest part is for the agency owner to relinqu- relinquish control. And I think it was, was it Dan Kennedy? I don't know. I remember talking with a mastermind member. He said, oh, that's what someone else says uh, in his book. And I was like, well, I don't read books. So I couldn't have copied it. But I'm like, I got to give them credit if that was the first person to say it. But I said like 80% is good enough. Yeah. Right? Like stop trying to do it, like make everyone be perfect. No one's going to give a shit about your agency as much as you. They're not going to be in the beginning, not as good as you, but you have to let them fail. It's kind of like, you know, if you have kids, you have to let them kind of fall down a couple of times or they're going to be uh, entitled um, and walking around with walkers all the time. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. So stage three is about building the right team. Anything you want to cover there and to how, how one goes about that would probably, I would say be my biggest struggle is to find people uh, and here's like an example, I think probably in the last month, um, my partner who runs more of the, pretty much the agency side or whatever, I think we hired three people and all within two days, you know, and we vetted them good, put them through process. And then two to three days later, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I had a family issue. I can't do this. Or another one was, um, oh, I'm just too busy. I can't do this. So, and it's just like, you know, you're coming on board for a full-time position. Like, what did you expect? Sunshine and rainbows? Like, and, and I feel like our vetting process was pretty good, but tell me about what is the best, the best way for people to find good, reliable people that do a good job. Because ultimately as you're scaling quality of work is probably going to take a dip dive because the agency owner is pulling out a little bit. How does one combat that? Well, it's, it comes back to really having systems and really um, clear expectations of what you expect this person to do. Too many agencies, they think, oh, I'll hire this person with this expertise and then just put them in the fire. And you're setting them up to fail. Um, 
you know, you can kind of test the waters with test projects. You can kind of ease them in. Um, you can like when I'm interviewing people, like let's say I'm interviewing, uh, you know, someone I'll be like, well, what's, what's your first 90 day plan look like for success? And what I'm looking for from that is for them to ask me questions. And then I'm constantly looking at, you know, on my core values or the core values of the, the company of going, asking questions relating to that, right? So if uh, one of our core values is being resourceful, right? Normally we don't hire people from bigger companies because they're not resourceful. They have so many different resources at their disposal. They're literally just taking this print off here and dropping it off here, right? The TPS report from office, office space um, versus being resourceful. So I could, in the interview, give them very little information and then ask them to do something. I want to see if they're being resourceful or have they done their research? You know, I had, uh, we just brought on um, um, director of sales and um, they researched me and they were like, I know you hate feet uh, <laughs> or hate something. Feet? I hate feet. Oh, yeah. Really? So, so now everybody's just going to send me nasty feet photos. Um, <laughs> And so like, but I'm like, oh, cool. Or uh, he found out I used to be a cartoonist and his, his 90 day plan, he actually put it and animated it as a cartoon, right? Like that's being resourceful, that's being, right? Like, so I'm looking at things like that um, and I'm creating a high standard uh, versus someone that just applies and then they have a good interview and then I hire and then I wonder why. Um, uh, and I have clear expectations of, here it is. And then also too, I'm documenting the pathway of what they need to do. Too many times people are like, we'll do this. I'll say, this is what I expect from you now. And then if you want, there's a couple of tracks. Think of like the, I've never been in the military, but like in the military, you have a couple, you have two different tracks. You can go the officer track or unenlisted track, which I look at an agency track as skilled or management. And so you can say, well, you know, my job as the manager of this person is to advance them personally and, um, and business-wise. And so what track are you on? And then based on that track, I'll be like, here's what you need to maintain. When you actually do this above here, you'll move up to the next level. So you'll move up from junior to mid, mid to senior, senior to director, director to VP, VP to, you know, uh, you know chief right? So they have tracks and it's clearly laid out. It's not based on, you know, yearly reviews, um, which everyone hates. So, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And that's step, whether we're talking step three. That was four. That was stage four. Okay. And then we go from stage four. On stage four, what do you think, before someone can progress to the next stage, where are they at in terms of revenue or what's that next indicator signal that you're looking for? someone to go to the next it's really not based on on revenue there because you're already in the millions but um or at least over the million mark it's more of you're not in the day-to-day -day operations right sure. you're, you're starting to really um when you get to the crest the next one it's all about how can i you know scale and find the right talent because you were just you know bringing people and this is really kind of the right talent is you're starting to kind of figure out what are my chiefs and my VPs, you're building this leadership team because your whole goal is to transform from the owner. So all the stages below, you've been the owner, you've been the janitor, you're the receptionist, you're the 
everything, right? So now you need to try to transition to a CEO and a CEO really only has five roles. Set the vision of the agency and communicate it to the team often. This is not just a bullshit exercise that you check mark and, and talk to your team once, you know, like once every five years. This is like continuous, like live it and breathe it and all that kind of stuff. The next is coach and mentor your leadership team and then show them how they can do that with their team, so on and so on. Um, understand the financials, build relationships and be the face of the organization. And those are you know, really the true roles so when you can actually do that, then you reach it to the summit. And some people want to stay at the summit or some people, you know, want to kind of, you know, exit. Um, and I look at exiting their agency in a couple of different ways. You could sell it for, you know, to another agency. Um, you can go public or you can exit your role as a CEO and exit to a chairman. Like, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of clients that we've been working with over the years that, have progressed through all these stages and they're at a point where, and I would love to buy them. Um, they're like, no, we're making tons of money. And I actually talk about a lot of it too, uh, which my other partners hate, I think. But I'm like, hey, it's what they need. Um, but they want to transition from the CEO to the chairman where they're just setting you know, the overall, like they're not even setting the overall direction anymore. They're just going, yeah, this is great. You send me a big check <laughs> and I could go do other shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, it's a lot of information and in your program for, I mean, this isn't even a pitch for your program, but I'm kind of interested just for own internal use. Do you guys help? Like, do you give blueprints for all of the systems and processes for every single stage? Mm -hmm. So the hiring process, the lead generation, um, and what, what kind of agencies does this work for? Because we have a wide variety. We have people that just do Facebook. We have people that do Facebook, Google. Um, there's just YouTube specific agencies, creative agencies, SEO agencies. There's agencies that do everything. Um, what, is, yeah. what is your, you know, sounds like to me it would work for everything, but obviously I've never seen it. So um, it tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so these are all foundational things. This works for any type of digital agency um, that is, you know, looking to really kind of elevate and, and go to the next stage, you know, where, where the playbook, like the playbook is designed for those people that love to do it by themselves. Um, where the playbook falls down for people are the ones that want to be stepped through it. Right. And to work and, and see what's what's this like in other agencies and, and that kind of stuff and that's really where we created the digital agency elite is where we put you in the stage that you're in so you're with other amazing people going through that stage or maybe a little ahead of you and then they can kind of pull and push you along and then you keep graduating through those stages until you get to where you actually want to go got it okay that makes sense yeah um playbook is going to be the book you wrote right what's well, a it's an online training system um so if you go to you know my website and just click on playbook jasonswank.com slash playbook you can request an invite to that and what's the cost for that uh 1600 one time lifetime and that's the cool thing about it which all my coaches always beat me up uh, they go, you should make that recurring. I'm like, no, if someone gets in it, I'm going to constantly update it as things change. We've updated it. This is version five. So you get lifetime access to it. Um, and I just believe in that. Okay. 
Um, let's talk afterwards and see if we, I don't, and I don't know, maybe we can get, um, I didn't plan on this guy's being like a pitch meeting, but I'm actually interested in just, you know, getting the playbook for myself and just reading through it. So maybe we can set up some type of deal or something for our members if yeah. we can chat afterwards, just to get them. Sure. Something. Um, what do you think the biggest, biggest, most important piece are most agencies not doing? Like when they come into the program, it's, you know, like, holy, holy crap. Yeah, a couple, yeah, a couple things. Um, they're not charging enough, um, but they're probably not charging enough because they haven't got crystal clear on who they're going after and really defining who they're going after. Like you mentioned, we're a full service. Look, we weren't full service and we were over a hundred people. Right. So let that sink in, right? Like you want to be the specialist and do something that not many other people can do. And, and really, um, and then you'll get more efficient, which means more profit because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big your gross revenue is, it matters how much your net profit is because that's, that's really what you're aiming for. What services do you guys offer when you say you're not full service? What are you guys all doing? Well, we were, yeah, we were doing user experience, creative and, and uh, web development um, for the first agency. Okay. Um, this the republics this other agency we're just gobbling up every agency we possibly can from pay-per-click seo social email dev uh, you name it um and now we're just integrating them all together got it so now you are more full service offering everything you would say yeah well we're yeah i mean there's still pieces that we're missing so we still can't even say we're full service um but like people towed around full service very loosely <laughs> and when you say you're not so that's what i'm trying to get at when you say you're not full service what do you feel like you guys are missing you know we have to kind of really kind of look back you know probably around you know maybe like uh direct response um you know direct mail um you know some of those pieces we're we're really laser focused on digital um and we've got that down but it's, it's constant learning thing. There's always new things, you know, like with TikTok, right? Could we do TikTok pay-per-click? Not right now, probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, let's see. As you grow, what specific benchmarks are you looking for? Like, how does one come up with like, Oh, we want them to be at a hundred thousand dollars revenue where we won't touch them. Or is that not really a thing as you grow and progress? It's more about, can you pay this retainer? You know, you can pay it. This is our price. We're gonna go. Yeah. You know, you definitely should have a threshold that you won't go below. Right. So that, and that just takes time. It's kind of, I, I treat it like a Vegas buffet. You have to try out everything and you're going to try out some things you don't like some things that probably make you sick. Uh, you know, if you're thinking back about some clients and like some clients you lost a lot of money on, mm -hmm. and then you just have to kind of build like, um, almost kind of do a debriefing, you know, like the military does after, or like a debriefing after the game and going, what worked, what didn't work? What do we need to avoid next time? Mm -hmm. Like if we're, uh, I'm a huge Florida state fan for college football. And, uh, like if we, got a running quarterback and but that guy keeps staying in the pocket well crap man like how do we build an offensive line around him where it lets him run rather than make him stay in the pocket so he can actually go go deeper so uh, it's the same thing when you're pricing out 
going, if someone can't go um, over or if someone wants to pay under 50K, maybe I don't take them on. You know, I had Seth Godin on the podcast um, uh, last year and I asked him, I said, is there any agencies that you admire? And he told me, I can't remember the name. Uh, and I asked him why. And he goes, well, they have 50 people. They don't want to hire any more than 50 people. Um, and if they have 50 people, they can't take over. I, I think it was like 100 clients. I'm like, okay, cool. And so they're so very selective. And so if you can build a waiting list because you're selective, you can charge whatever you want. I have another client um, in the mastermind, uh, Dean. Uh, we look back at... Um, he had a lot of legacy clients um, paying him very low. And uh, we changed his pricing, his offering, all that kind of stuff um, over a couple months. Um, and so we were doing that to new prospects. And I always kind of treat that as doing that with new prospects. And then we come back to the legacy ones. And I said, okay, now it's time, uh, Dean, to do this to the legacy clients. We're going to double those pricing um, for those clients. And he goes, man, you know, I might lose some. I'm like, exactly. You'll probably lose 50% of them. And the other 50% will say yes, which offsets it. And that means your team has more work to do or they have more availability. What happened was all those clients, because they were getting amazing results, they all said yes. He added 60,000 in monthly recurring revenue by doing nothing more. Mm -hmm. Just by saying, hey, I'm raising my prices. What about for the person that thinks my mentality when you say that obviously you know just immediately it goes oh you know i'm the kind of guy that if me and my wife go into a dart into a bar and i get you know i say hit the bullseye you give me 20 darts i have a better chance of hitting the bullseye with less risk versus giving her three darts and say here you go so depending on your client tell count how do you equate when you say you know get rid of 50 percent of your clientele obviously you're making more but you also have a lot more risk in terms of revenue drops or do you not look at it all that way? Well, he wasn't, he wasn't getting rid of 50%. You do it in stages, right? So like what I was talking about is he was doing this all on new clients, new prospects, uh, okay. new clients and the old clients. So uh, if they all said no, no problem. Like they're not the right clients anymore, Yep. but they're costing you money. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you guys go into from like a profitability cost standpoint, like we're using, and I don't know what you push, but we use T-sheets and like QuickBooks and we do time tracking and then equate time to projects. That's something that you guys all probably teach. So you can get a benchmark on, is this client profitable or is this not client not profitable? All the time. You have to have the KPIs, both for the agency as well as for the, the clients and really making sure like if we're losing money, why? And like yep. identify that quick, like where are the profit leaks that we need to fix? Or yep. do we just need to blow up the boat and sink it? Mm-hmm. Make it a new boat. Yep. Depends on who the boat is. <laughs> That's right. Did you see Bezos bought, I think it was a $500 million yeah. yacht. And it's just the upkeep on that thing alone is 54 million a year. It's crazy. I mean, who cares? Like when he's got so much money, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. But and that's just stuff like, uh, you know, I, um, I don't know if you know who uh, Frank Kern is. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, I had him on the podcast a little, little while ago, right before this. And we talked about his four agency versions that he's actually gone through. And version three, when he partnered with Grant Cardone. Was a nightmare, right? From my understanding, it was an absolute nightmare. Clients had the worst experience and it kind of tarnished his name from what I well, read. 
Yeah, well, what, what happened was, is Frank <laughs> went in it with, he didn't go over his assumptions. So he assumed that, you know, Grant, and, and, and the cool thing about Frank was, he, he goes, hey, it was my fault because I assumed and I went into it. Um, and he thought Grant and his team would actually do all the support and operations, which Frank wasn't good at at the time. And it wasn't. And he goes, look, I created this boat. And I said, well, how did you, how'd you get out of this boat? Like, did you, like, how'd you, he goes, I just gave it to him. And I started a new one. I was like, and he goes, I just admitted uh, I made a mistake. I'll do a new one, but he likes the building. But I also, I, you know, what I respected about that was he, um, he admitted, he knew like he self-identified, he admitted he was in the wrong or like admitted the uh, mistake rather than blame. Like most people want to blame because they want to look perfect and go, I'll just do it over. And he's crushing it now. Yep. Is there, is Grant still running his agency? Is that still around even, or did they shut it down? I have no idea. Hmm. Interesting. but he you know he loves grant and um you know and uh but uh yeah he's gone through a couple versions he's on version four i think he'll succeed on this one um because he's a smart dude and he loves it he has passion for the digital marketing and doing it for other people so and that's uh those are the two requirements i look at exit exit strategy for agencies let's say you're at i don't know one million dollars and you're looking to sell how do you how do you equate a cost on that and what's the best way to go about exiting um for well, depend- well you got to think about what's the number that you want to exit with is there like a benchmark is there like usually it's three times your yearly revenue or one time you know is there just uh, i mean like when you're selling an e-commerce business there's like kind of a formula that you figure that out to put a pricing structure right. for that to start you there, know how there's yeah, there's a, there's a form. Well, I mean, there's a suggested formula, I guess, from the averages, but at, at the end of the day, your agency is worth what you're willing to sell and what someone's willing to buy. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you have a million dollar agency, you're not even close to being ready to sell. Um, it is not based on top line revenue. A lot of people think that it's all based on profit. You know, the agencies that we bought last year, um, we don't buy anybody that's under a million in EBITDA. So that's oh, net profit. profit. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And so we'll come in and we'll say, we'll, we'll value your agency at four to five X. So we'll say four to 5 million is your valuation. Then there's a number of other different variables like predictability contracts, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then, um, then we'll say, all right, we'll give you 50% cash, 50% in ownership. Um, but I've also, I've worked with many agencies, you know, through the, through the mastermind where, um, we've got them, they've hit the million in EBITDA, they've got an eight X valuation with 90% cash, right. Or, um, I'm thinking of David, uh, he had a life-changing number, like just stupid numbers. So like there's, it's all over the board. It's all relative. Yeah. So, but you know. If you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to drop them in there. We got about, um, be respectful of your time, about 10 minutes, 12 minutes left. So um, anything else that you think would be beneficial from playbook, from the masterclass, um, in terms of knowledge, things that we should cover? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is, is just, you know, go to our website and check out our free stuff. Um, you know, I love when people have never heard of us too, because like, um, you know, we, we put out, we've been doing our podcast for seven years 
interviewing the best agency owners all over the world and telling their story. Um, we have over a thousand videos on YouTube um, of just talking about, you know, the strategies that have worked and what not worked. So I would tell everybody, just go check out that stuff and, and see if it relates to you. Uh, and then, you know, reach out from there. Um, but end of the day, you want to kind of self-identify where you're at. So then you know what you need to do, but you have to figure out like, where do you want to go and then really make it happen. And, and uh, there's a million ways to do it. And uh, yeah. And you're able to go do it. Yeah. One guy has a comment that there's no such thing as bad climates, just bad prospects and bad processes. I feel like you would totally agree with that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I remember doing a video many years ago. It's like, uh, I remember I, I started, out, I was telling one person, I was like, there's no such thing as a bad client. And they're like, well, let me tell you this. I'm like, you let them turn into a bad client. <laughs> so, you know, you got to yeah. figure out that process or, or how to qualify them out quick. Sure. Now that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate your time. Doesn't look like there's anything coming in from the community. I would like for you just to stay on for a couple minutes so we can just chat about something um, awesome. and then kind of go from there. So I appreciate it. Uh, if you guys have any questions, let me know. I will work on getting, um, talk to him after this about getting you guys a deal or something like that for members. So stay tuned for some more information about that. And I appreciate everybody's time. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, man.